Women Evangelism podcast. My name's Tina Waldrum and today I'm speaking with Sam Chan, who's a public speaker evangelist with City Bible Forum. Welcome to you, Sam. Oh, thank you so much, Tina. It's so good to be here. Great to have you along. And today we're going to talk about how to talk about Jesus without being that guy, which in fact is the title of a a book uh, that you wrote, which was shortlisted, in fact, in uh, very popular last year in Australia. What I really want to know first, before I ask about who is that guy or girl, I presume, tell me a little bit about you. I mean, you are in Sydney. What's your background? Where'd you grow up? Where's the Christian background come from? Sure. So if you can't see me, I am short and I'm Asian and my last name is Chan. So I'm the classic stereotypical Asian male. I was born in Hong Kong. My parents moved to Australia when I was just six months old as a baby. In 1967, we spent two years in Darwin. These were the days of the white Australia policy. I think we were the only Asians in all of Australia. That's how it felt at the time. (laughs) And then we moved to Adelaide. We spent six years in Adelaide. And then the rest of my life, I've been essentially in Sydney. I was blessed enough to be born in a Christian family. People often say, oh, that's why you're a Christian. I say, no, that's exactly why you wouldn't be a Christian. As an Asian (laughs) immigrant, you're trying to do everything to look for your own identity. The last thing you want to do is be a Christian because mum and dad are a Christian. So I think that really set me on a big journey on like exploring, is Jesus real? Uh, Is Christianity real? And I think that also helped me in the process of thinking, okay, well, how can I explain that Jesus is real to other people who don't believe? Yeah, absolutely. Did What were your parents like as in terms of sharing their faith? Was it the style that you liked or were they interested to share their faith? They were so interested in sharing their faith to the point where I thought this is so natural and normal. It's in the DNA of every Christian to want as many friends and family to know about Jesus. So my early childhood memories in Adelaide would be they would have university students over at their place every weekend. Uh, especially the overseas Asian students who'd gone to church. They'll come over to our place for uh, Sunday lunch after. So there was a big ministry, big fellowship thing that my, that my parents would do with overseas international students. My parents were always having neighbours over for dinner and then inviting them to come to church. And then the neighbours would go to church and they would become Christians. So it just seemed very normal, very natural. I also went to Campbelltown Baptist Church when we moved to Sydney. I was there for, I think, about eight years. And there was this moment where something like one third of the church had all become Christians through one family reaching out to their neighborhood. So I think I grew up in a time where it was just very normal, very natural to to open your home up, to invite people to church, tell people about Jesus, and people would believe in Jesus. Mm, Right. Times have changed, right? (laughs) Oh, definitely. Here's the big thought then for me. I'm listening to your background raised in a Christian family, very opposite to my story. And then you write this book, which is a fantastic read, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy or that girl. And I'm thinking, okay, I think I know what he's on about here. But in your mind, describe to me what that guy is. Well, I lived for about five years in the United States And in the United States, they always joke about that guy, that uncle who 
mm. who speaks his political views to you at the Thanksgiving dinner, who speaks his religious views to you at the Christmas dinner, and you're stuck talking to him. So I think we live in a culture that is where not only – well, you're not allowed to talk about politics and religion. And so the instant you do talk about politics or religion, you become that guy at the Christmas dinner, uh, the person that no one wants to talk to, the person that everyone's trying to avoid and think, oh, please, 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 don't sit me next to uncle so-and-so because he's just going to talk about religion all night. And so I happen to be speaking at a Gospel Coalition conference i was a one of the breakout speakers so just for fun i played around i because they wanted me to speak on personal evangelism so i did the title how to speak about jesus without becoming that guy and it Mm. packed out the room it would have been over 100 people at a breakout session standing room only came to hear the talk and i thought wow this title even though it was a little bit of a semi-joke has touched a cultural nerve It's touched a need in Christians where, on the one hand, we do want to tell as many friends and family about Jesus. But at the same time, we know we live in a culture where it's inappropriate and awkward to talk about Jesus. I know when my publisher put up how to talk about Jesus without becoming that guy on some Facebook page or YouTube page, you know, the comments just lit up. And some people... Mm. said of course the instant you talk about jesus you do become that guy Mm, absolutely and people already feel uncomfortable enough sharing their faith well most of the people that i talk to feel that to share their their faith in jesus it has to roll a certain way or i have to get this out a certain way and and getting it out a certain way is what you're saying, let's not do that. Yeah, and so part of the reason why I wrote the book is because up until now, if you took a course on evangelism, chances are you went to a Bible college and your evangelism course was run by a preacher. And so they were going to teach you how to preach the gospel in a 20-minute Bible talk monologue, usually at some Mm. gospel event like a Carol's Night or Gingerbread Making House, uh, or it was... They trained you to do walk-up evangelism and and mm. and approach a stranger on a university campus or plane or train. So they're all sort of monologue-type forms of evangelism. But I wrote this book to show, mm. well, there's this other space where we're trying to talk to friends and family about Jesus, where you can't do the 20-minute monologue, where they're not a stranger on a university campus. You're going to... You're going to see these people over and over again. They are in your life. And a monologue doesn't work. And a monologue is awkward and inappropriate. So there must be another way to talk about Jesus to our friends and family without becoming that guy. (laughs) Just makes me laugh because I'm just nodding here going, yes, amen to that. Tell tell us more. So how does this work in your own life? Obviously, it's great because you can practice this in your own personal life with your your community that's around you give us an example of how not to be that guy so the good the good version of how it would go i guess just um thinking that this person is a stranger and having a pre-rehearsed monologue where we try to force the conversation and bring up jesus in a conversation where it does feel like a gear crunching moment and i think 
you know, it's actually really hard to think of an example because I think Christians, we, we, we cringe so much at the thought of this happening that we go out of way to make sure it never happens to the point where no conversations about Jesus ever happen. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I work several days a week as a doctor and I have I, this happens to me all the time. Someone will make small talk with me and they say, what do you do the rest of the week when you're not a doctor? And I say... I'm in full-time Christian ministry. And one mm. nurse actually went really blank. And she says, what does that mean? And I said, I give talks about Jesus from the Bible. And she was stunned. She <laughs> didn't know what to say. And then she walked away. Like she could not say anything. And I thought, there you go. I've offended her. I mentioned Jesus in the workplace. Half an hour later, when there was no one else around and listening in, because up until then there were people listening in, she said to me, oh, I'm also a Christian. I go to such and such church and we have a retreat this weekend. I thought, wow, even Christians don't know how to out themselves to each other, let alone to a non-Christian at work. And there was another <laughs> time I was seeing a doctor. I was a patient this time. And this doctor asked me, so what do you do the rest of the, rest of the time when you're not a doctor? And I said, I'm in Christian ministry. I tell people about Jesus from the Bible. Again, stunned silence. And then he mutters something like, oh, that explains the Bible verse on your shirt. I, I, I forgot I wore a shirt with a Bible verse. I don't do this all the time. I'm not that guy, right? But then, and then he walks away. doesn't say anything. And I thought, there you go. I've offended him because I brought up religion in a secular public space. And then about 20 minutes later, while he's writing in his notes, he goes, so which Bible college did you go to? And I said, you seem to know a lot about Bible colleges. Are you a believer? He said, yes. And I go to such and such a church. And I thought, wow, he did not know how to out himself as a Christian to me, a fellow believer. So I guess what one of the things I do at work now is I out Christians to each other. Because I'll say to someone, hey, Peter, did you know um, Jane is a Christian? And they go, no, I didn't know. I say, yeah, Jane goes to this church. And I go, Jane, did you know Peter's a Christian? And so one of the things I do at work is I network Christians with each other. And I have this saying that at work, Christians are way more overrepresented than they realize but we're under leveraged because we think we're the only Christian in the workplace when there's probably way more than we realize. I'll give you another example. There, there was, I was talking to a nurse. He was from the Philippines. And I asked him, oh, how old is your child? He said, two years old. And I said, oh, these are hard years when your child's only two because it's very hard to go out. It's hard to have adult conversation. You're always feeding a child. Everyone else is eating by themselves. You can't talk with them. Then I said to him, do you go to a church? He said, yes. I said, yeah, because it's hard bringing a two-year-old to church, isn't it? Often you wonder why you even bothered turning up. And he said mm. to me, are you a churchgoer? And I said, yes, I am. And he just went, oh, up until now, I thought I was the only one. He said, back in the Philippines, everyone's religious. I come here in Australia. No one seems to be religious. And I said to him, they are, because, you know, by religious, he meant, you know, believers, people of faith. And I mm. said, they are. They're just too afraid to tell you. And, uh, you know, his eyes opened. He had not thought of that until now. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. They're kind of undercover all the time. So if you know, say in your workplace as a doctor, which that is amazing just hearing that, although not to be too cliche, but you're the one that said it. You're the you're the Asian, the typical Asian guy. Well, I'm thinking the typical Asian Christian is a doctor. So. 
It's terrible. I once preached at a wedding for an Asian Australian couple called Sam and Kathy. Both were doctors. Everyone in the the church service were Asian Australian doctors, and they all and every male was called Sam. It was unbelievable. You had to be Sam, Asian, and a doctor to be in that wedding service. That's hilarious. Well, I'm glad that you're the person making the fun here, and I'm just joining in. <laughs> but <laughs> when you are in your workplace, um, so as a doctor, and you have got people around you that are non-Christians. How do, how do you articulate your faith without being that guy? Yeah, I think it, there are two things you do. There are ways of just dropping hints because usually, you know, on a Friday or they say, what are you doing for the weekend? Or on a Monday, what did you do for the weekend? I might say, say, Saturday we had kids sport. Oh, Sunday, but Friday night my kids went to youth group. And they and they you know played these games and they there was a talk on this uh, or Sunday my kids helped out with the crèche at church something like that so I don't just say we went to church because that's too vague or abstract mm. for a non-believer I mentioned some particular activity that we did either at the Friday night youth group or the church but I, you know I leave it at that because you know they they were just asking how your weekend was they weren't. They didn't want to be preached at, right? So you you got to be um, right. sensitive to you know what, what what's going on here. It's a social nicety. It's just a greeting. They're, they're not wanting you to preach at them. But then what I do, and I say this in my book, you you turn up to be the de facto unofficial chaplain in the workplace, and there's several things mm. you do to do that. But one is. You turn up to be the one who understands. They have a saying that home is where you're understood. I heard this from Craig Springer from Alpha USA, but he was quoting someone else. Home is where you're understood. And most people find they can't Mm. even get understood at home. So I try to be the guy Mm. who can be the home away from home for them by understanding them. And I do it through asking questions. And it's interesting, up until now, Again, if we took a course on evangelism, we got trained how to evangelize like a preacher, uh, like a monologue. Mm. But I reckon we need to learn how to evangelize like a counselor. Counselors do it through mm. asking questions and inviting people to open up and sharing maybe more about their lives, sharing more about what makes them vulnerable. So it could be as simple as, how's your weekend? And then just, and then asking one more question and how did that go so i call it the power of the second question to show hey if you want to talk mm. more about it i'm i'm happy and i find if you do this enough times but there'll be this moment let's say it's a monday so how's your weekend and they say oh we did this and i say how did that go they finally feel free to say oh you know what it didn't go well then i can say tell me more and then whatever they share i say my wife and my kids we pray every night for our friends i say my wife and my kids we pray i don't say i will pray because that can be creepy from an old guy right so i say my wife my kids we pray every night would it be okay if we prayed for you so when someone says they have back pain i said oh i'm so sorry to hear that tell me more and then i say we pray every night uh, would it be okay if we pray for your back pain? And I actually sent the person a video of my son praying for her back pain and sent it to her. Mm. And then the next day, next week, I check in. How's the pain? Uh, is it better? 
and they say yes. And I have now started introducing the language of miracle. I say, oh, wow, that is a miracle. God answered Mm. your prayers. And they always go, wow, yes, it is. So I found people are very happy to share, very happy to be prayed for, very happy to be checked in on. And when the prayers are answered, I start sneaking the word God and miracle then. And I see where, where, where we go from that. Yeah, fantastic. So this is something that we can all do. And so it's highly relational, highly keeping people um, in relationship with you. You're not trying to do a a gospel line drop or a bomb and just (laughs) run away, but you're trying to genuinely understand where people are at and to love them in that space and bring God into that equation as it's appropriate, without being that guy. Yeah, so in my book I say we try to be Jesus to those around us. And every morning when I do the school drop-off with my boys, we take turns praying. But my favourite prayer for the boys is, today help us be Jesus to those around us. And I just heard someone else share, and I just wish I could remember this person so I could quote them and give them credit for this quote. They take it one step further. They say, we can be Jesus to those around us and see them as people in the image of Jesus. Actually, I think it was Glenn Scrivener, Mm. an Australian in the UK. I think he had that quote. So that's what we can do to our friends, our family, our neighbours, the people at school, the people at work. Always think, how can I be Jesus and see them in the image of Jesus today? Yeah, amazing. I guess because you've written, you know, how to talk about Jesus without being that guy, I guess you're acknowledging that there's been a huge shift in culture. Let's just take Australia, for example, from 40 years ago to today, and the way that we articulate faith or even engage with secular Australia is different. So tell me a little bit about how you see that. Oh, for sure. In the book, I talk about how I'm actually old enough that I was at the Billy Graham crusade at Sydney in Randwick Racecourse in 1979. And I saw it all. I went several nights. <laughs> Billy was at his best. He gives the 20 minute Bible talk. He, he asks people to commit. They pray the prayer. The choir gets up, sings just as I am over and over again. And Billy gives his famous line, <laughs> you know, if you pray the prayer, come down the front the buses will wait. And at that moment, we think, oh, that's so classic, Billy. I love it. But think about the buses will wait. It means almost every non-believer that night came on a church bus. They were a churched non-believer. They had actually heard it a hundred times before. Billy was just telling them something they've heard before. Billy saying, come on, you've heard this. You know it's true. Don't you think it's time you believe And if I think back, I go, yeah, when I was going to my local Baptist church, 90% of my Sunday school class were non-believers from non-believing parents. 90% of my church soccer team were non-believers from non-believing parents. 90% of my Friday night youth group were non-believers from non-believing parents. And it's Mm. funny, back then the churches used to complain, hey, don't treat us like a childcare mining centre. But now we realise it was a good (laughs) thing we had non-believers in our church. But it meant the non-believer was a church non-believer. 
Rico Tice, UK evangelist, explains it this way. There have been three phases in evangelism in recent Western history. Phase one was the Billy Graham phase. Billy's telling them something they've already heard before. Phase two was what we call the defeater belief phase, where the non-believer knows what we believe, but they can't believe it because of various things that defeat, block their belief, like the problem of science, the problem of other religions, the problem of evil. So evangelism meant we had to remove those defeater beliefs and then they would believe. So something like Tim Keller's Mm. Reason for God is an example of that sort of evangelism. But now we're in the third and most recent phase of evangelism where the non-believer is on a different planet from us, the believer. They don't know what we believe. They don't care what we believe. And deep down, they're worried that what we believe is wrong, evil, hateful, and bigoted. So now we need to promote Mm. belief, woo them over onto our planet, and and at least hear us for the first time. And so Tim Keller's Making Sense of God might be an example of that sort of evangelism. The other shift that has happened, and it's this, 40 years ago, people thought that Christians were do-gooders, that to be a Christian meant I can't drink, I can't smoke, I can't dance. So much of evangelism was trying to convince them, hey, it's not about doing good things. And look, we also dance, <laughs> you know, we, we, we watch movies, mm. we have a good mm. time. Now it's switched. People think that if they become a Christian, they've got to be a bad person. They've got to be hateful, racist, and bigoted. And they're worried that if I become a Christian, do I have to become a racist or bigot? So what's happened is 40 years ago when we were evangelizing, (laughs) in Jesus's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it was like 40 years ago, we were evangelizing the tax collector, telling the tax collector, you think you're a, you know, you know, you've broken a law, you've broken all the laws, you're guilty, you need forgiveness. But now we're actually evangelizing the Pharisee who thinks they're a do-gooder, they're self-righteous, and that the Christians are the bad people, and they look down on the Christians uh, mm. because they see themselves as morally superior to Christianity. So it's a very different form of evangelism, very different mindset. Yeah, right. So it's it has to be highly relational. People have got to be able to see Jesus in your yeah, life at all times. That's cost. right. And I heard Craig Springer, Alpha USA, say that Barna.com, so Barna does a lot of research in this area, that they found out that the average non-believer in the USA, they have a problem with Christianity. They have a problem with the abstract idea of institutional Christianity, but they have no problem mm. with, a, with a Christian friend in their life. So with a concrete particular person that they know. So it's like, it's like you say, Tina, it is relational. And the non-believer in the survey says, if you had to hear about Jesus, how would you prefer to hear about Jesus? And the majority answer was, I would prefer to hear it in a conversation with my Christian friend. Yeah, isn't that so interesting? Like people are more open than what we think then. If, if that's the fact, and it is, that people want to hear about Jesus in a conversation, then our mates right now are more open than any other time for us to share conversationally, appropriately, without being that guy. Yes, for sure. And at City Bible Forum, 
what a lot of the people on my staff on, on at City Bible Forum, it's not my City Bible Forum, but a lot of people at City Bible Forum, mm-hmm. they've been mm-hmm. using the this evangelism tract called Word One to One. And I say tract, but it's not. It's actually the book of John printed in very contemporary booklet form. And they simply invite their non-believing friend to read the Bible. Would you like to read the Bible with me? And they say that before the pandemic, one in five people would say, yes, I would like to read the Bible with you. Since the pandemic, it's now two out of five say, yes, I would like to read the Bible with you. And they also have, they have this saying, a no answer is not a never answer. Meaning just because they said, no, I don't want to read the Bible, doesn't mean I never want to read the Bible. And at the City Bible Forum team meeting, people share stories of how they once asked someone to read the Bible with them 18 years ago, and that person has now said yes, or they once invited a person to read the Bible with them six years ago, and now that person has said yes. And I was skeptical. I gotta admit, I'm skeptical. Uh, I feel like such a gear crunch moment. Hey, would you like to read the Bible with me? But I think we're so pre-Christian now hmm. that that the Bible in its pure form, people are curious. You know, I do want to see what the Bible has to say. When we say, would you like to explore Christianity? They're imagining institu- institutional, big, bad Christianity. But if we say, hey, do you want to check out the Bible on its own terms and see what the rest of the world is seeing in the Bible? One out of five, now two out of five will say yes. And so I I invited one of my neighbors to read the Bible with me. I said, hey, let's go to the pub. I'll shout you a steak and wine and we'll read the Bible together. And he has said yes. And we've done it three times now. So we're due a fourth time. So even I was surprised. Wow, you know, people do want to read the Bible. Right. That's an amazing story. And I guess the distinction that you're making is the difference between Christianity and the Bible. Even the word Christian or Christianity has such a bad rap, but still the spiritual, the, the interest that people have in spirituality using the Bible or suggesting the Bible is going down a whole lot better than using the word Christianity. Yeah, I think so. Like, uh, rightly or wrongly, uh, people have a different idea when you use the word Christian than what we're using. So I think we have to explore different ways of saying that. Mm, Amazing. And and I'm just having visions right now, Sam, of you sitting at the pub with your wine, with your Bible open, chatting to this guy, which is hilarious. Oh, and then (laughs) just last week, like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Like uh, he said, I can't do it now. I think uh, let's because I I, I promised my friends that I'll watch them in a squash game. And I said, well, we can do it before the squash game. He goes, (laughs) okay. So we went to the squash game and because we've only just come out of COVID lockdown, there are all these restrictions and the squash courts were, were, Mm. they happened to be inside a club in Sydney, which means, you know, you've got poker machines and bars and all the bars are shut because we've only just come out of COVID. So the only place to sit down and order a drink and meal was in the poker machine area. So... He was sitting in one poker <laughs> machine. I was sitting at the other one. And the only way you can get service is to ask for, push the button on the poker <laughs> machine and someone would then serve you food and drink. And so we were sitting in the poker machines reading the book of John together. <laughs> 
I totally love it. And I'm hoping today, if you're listening to this episode, that you are seeing the humor and the absolute truth in this discussion. So every time I interview someone, Sam, I always run out of time, but I want to um, encourage people today in the show notes so I'm going to drop all the information so that you can actually check out the book how to talk about Jesus without being that guy and I'll also put some other links in there to things where you can read or take a course that Sam's done and really it's just so great to hear someone (laughs) so normal talking about personal evangelism and giving some great tips. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Sam. Thanks, Tina. It has been so much fun. Thanks so much for having me.